Mark. Yes. So I had this thought while we were watching Sweet Home Alabama the other day. Yes. About two-thirds of the way through the movie, I wrote down a thing in my notes that said, I think they started with a title and then engineered a movie around it. Oh, yeah. For sure. Except it's not what happened. Really? According to a Fox report from when the movie came out, it's an interview with the writer, C.J. Cox, who said that the original idea was to set the movie in the Pacific Northwest. And then one day they were driving around and they heard this song on the radio and overhauled the entire script to be set in Alabama. Uh, are you serious? <laughs> this is according to an interview with the screenwriter. Oh my God. But it really doesn't, like, I feel like if it's in the Pacific Northwest, it would just be... A, like small town. About the people. Yeah. And you wouldn't get the whole, like, cultural idea. It would be small town versus big city. Right. Which I'm, is such a tired yeah. whole thing about... But Big cities would, are terrible. You gotta go back to small towns. Yeah, but you would cut out the most problematic elements of this movie. That is true. But that, I think, is a testament to the power of radio. Right. There was some study that I saw recently that says, like, 90% of Americans deliberately listen to radio. So it's still one of the most pervasive forms of mass media. Yeah, because every like most pe- people, people drive listen in their cars. And they don't listen to podcasts. Right. But, you know, you can still listen to NPR. We are, of course, working on getting on NPR. we got to get in touch with Marjorie again. Contact your local NPR stations. Tell them you want Heart of Podness on their airwaves. Oh, yeah. We are dying to be on public radio. Yes. We're going to be on NPR One before you know it. In Making the meantime, buku bucks from those NPR sponsorships. Yeah. Nope. Anyway, I've been talking about radio a lot with my kids, too, because I was teaching about the 1920s. Your 10 children, right? <laughs> the 20 children that I have with Karen Bay. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, with my students. We've been talking about the 1920s. And one of the things that I've been talking about is the importance of radio. Right. And it's difficult to convey that to kids who grew up, not just with TV, but kids who grew up with Netflix. Weird. Yeah. yeah. And so I've been trying to give them a sense of sitting around and listening to the radio with music and listening to radio dramas and fireside chats and all of that. And I spent a while looking for examples of radio plays. And I tried to find some good ones in the 20s and I couldn't find good audio. But last night, to my absolute delight, I stumbled across this recording for a pilot of a radio series that was not picked up. Oh. A great rumble, a groan, and a thunderous plunge into a world he could not fathom. What a beeswax hammer! Hold on to your pin feathers, Mr. Duck, oh. for the cosmic axis has shifted, no. and you're stranded in a universe this of burning so rivers, bad. doom in the darkness, creatures it. beyond belief. Cleveland, right? You got it. <laughs> That's a pretty good line. The Adventures of Howard the Duck, a potential Rhodes Scholar hatched in darkness to a world gone haywire. It is time now to join our three-foot companion and his confidant Beverly as they continue to fight all odds and survive in a world they never made. They recorded an entire pilot for a Howard the Duck radio serial starring Jim Belushi in 1980. In 1980? Six years before the movie. What? Yeah. Honestly, that would probably be so much better than the movie. It sounds fascinating. I found the whole thing on SoundCloud. Did you listen to it all? I have not. Well, report back when you do. I will be posting it on social media. It is not super long, and I am so overjoyed. I also found a photo from Billboard magazine at the time of Belushi recording the dialogue. So I'll post that on social media as well. Yeah, I look forward to it. Yeah, Howard the Duck, the audio drama. listen to this. This is what we deserve. It probably would be better than the movie, though. The Cleveland line is actually kind of funny. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Jim Belushi. Are you not going to say that this is our weekly installment of Duck Talk? You just did, buddy. Great. All right. Let's move on. It's time for Heart of Podness. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is a podcast where we delve deep into cinematic love stories to answer the age-old question, does Hollywood romance actually make any sense? And are these people actually dateable? Are they even likable? It doesn't matter if the romance is a main plot or if it's a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. I can't stop thinking about this Howard the Duck radio It's so drama. cool. We can play more of it. No. Nope. It's coming. Nope. Don't play more. It's coming. Ah, uh, what did I do? As the Our episodes are the getting longer and longer anyway. For a call from a hotshot Hollywood producer. Yeah, why is that bum called? He's probably waiting for the cheaper rates after five. Cheaper rates? <laughs> He's nope, this is not better than the movie. But it ain't for spending money. Beverly, why is the refrigerator ringing? Oh, I put the phone in there. Why? I don't know. Uh, good. If you had a reason, I'd worry. This is better than the movie. <laughs> is it? I don't know. 
Beverly is inexplicably dumb based on that one scene. She's kind of dumb in the comics. Is she? Yeah. In the movie, she seems Leah more Thompson like... is a more competent Beverly than the Beverly we get in the comics. Huh. Interesting. I so guess there's a positive one... about the movie. Yeah. Uh, that's one good thing about the movie. Ah, uh, Howard the Duck. Yes. Okay, back to the matter at hand. This week, we're talking about our most requested movie by listeners. Which shocked me, because I saw it a couple of years ago, but I did not realize it was a phenomenon. Yeah, so we're talking about Andy Tennant's 2002 romantic comedy, Sweet Home Alabama. This is the first time we're returning to a director. Yeah, this is our first repeat director. Because yeah, Andy Tennant's follow-up to Sweet Home Alabama is Hitch, which right. we covered in our New Year's episode. Yeah. So, people love this movie. It comes up a lot. Yeah, I don't... I don't understand why. Had you seen it before? A long time ago. I didn't remember anything about it. Okay. So I saw it for the first time two years ago when I was living in Florida. The house that I lived in, I was in a group house and there were some handful of DVDs that had just been left by past residents over the years. And one of them was Sweet Home Alabama. And one night in the spring of 2016, two of my housemates and I decided, eh, let's watch this movie. And it was bananas. So then the next year we did the same thing. And now this year in 2018... You and I watched it together. So I'm concerned that this is becoming a tradition for me. It was, I don't, I think that people who watch this have not watched it recently. No. Because, especially in light of all of the really just horribly racist things that happen in this movie, I feel like people might look at it differently. Yeah, it's not like this movie is like going around treating people of color badly no it just is very casual about things that are very problematic right they're very pro south yes we are going to talk about this is a movie in which one of the last lines is a jubilant shout that the south will rise again or has risen or something yeah and don't tell me that it's like a cultural difference thing because confederate revisionism is not a cute cultural difference right her dad is also a confederate soldier reenactor right and there are confederate flag throw pillows on the couch in his home and like the only person of color you see in this movie is a servant at the plantation house. That's right. It's... And then her uh, gay black friend. Oh, yes. The best character. Who is welcomed by everyone in the town. Yeah. I loved him. But yes, watching those moments, I was just like, why does everyone love this movie This movie, movie is so bananas. Much? Yeah. That's just like not even to talk about the bananas plot of this movie. <laughs> this movie is incredible. The correct way that this movie should happen is that Reese Witherspoon goes to Alabama, gets mad at Josh Lucas eventually gets it solved, and then goes back to New York and marries Patrick Dempsey. Yeah, there are no downsides to that decision. <laughs> I mean, Candace Bergen. <laughs> yeah. That's it. But, like, you can deal with an uh, annoying mother-in-law. Yeah. Oh, oh my man. God. This movie. This movie also, it's worth noting, it did come out in a real sweet spot for romantic comedies. They had been doing well in the 80s and 90s, and they still hung on for a while after the turn of the century. Uh, it was a September release. It opened to $35 million on a $30 million budget. Wow. It's a nice start off. Yeah. And it opened at number one, spent three weeks at number two. So the movie did well. It yeah. performed really well throughout the month. To throw some very 2002 numbers on this, mm -hmm. it knocked Barbershop out of number one. Wow. And sitting at fourth when it opened was My Big Fat Greek Wedding in its 24th week of release. Oh my God. If you do not know the saga of Big Fat Greek Wedding, just go on Box Office Mojo and look it up. And see the insane things that happen with its numbers. Was it? It was in theaters for that long? If you were in the right place, you could see Big Fat Greek Wedding in theaters for a year. Good lord. Now, towards the tail end of that, it's on like double digit screens. Right. But it was in theaters for like a full year. And it started off pretty small and pretty low on. And then it just hit like a storm in that summer. Dominated the box office for the whole summer. And it was this tiny movie. It cost like nothing to make. Yeah. And then it was just a massive hit. We should we should cover that movie if you haven't we seen should. it. We should. I've seen it. Okay. Of course I've seen it. Okay. I wasn't sure. It was in the theaters for a year. 24 weeks in the top five. Well, no, no, no. It didn't start off in the top oh, five. Oh, right. It came up. Yeah. Okay. But still. Yeah. It's like <laughs> bonkers how that movie did. Um, ultimately, Sweet Home Alabama made $127 million over the course of its run, which is real good. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Yeah. So why don't we dive in? Because we're going to need a lot of time to talk about this movie. Yeah. Okay. Let's get started. Yeah. It was really hard to cut down to five points. It's a whirlwind. Yeah. But I mean, basically, it's just the whole movie. Yeah. It's basically the whole movie. So we'd start off with the proposal in New York. Are we not going to talk about how the kids at the beginning? Because their oh accents my gosh, are you're so right. bad. We've got to talk about our prologue with our kids, uh, Thomas Curtis as young Jake and Dakota Fanning as young Melanie. Point zero. Point number zero. So it's on a beach in a thunderstorm. I just remembered a bit from the Bond episode I didn't do. Bah! Oh, well. I was going to do that. Bada! Every time we transition from one 
point to another. <laughs> I'm glad that you forgot. Uh, that episode is long enough as it is. Um, yeah, so it opens on a beach. These two kids are running around in a storm. There's like lightning bolts flashing around them. Yeah. And they stumble across some glass in the sand. Right. Sand glass. Yeah. Had smashed into the sand and made this cool, creepy thing. Yeah. And what so- if it was cursed? And that could be a different movie. It's about these two kids who find a cursed piece of lightning glass and it corrupts their souls. You basically are just taking the barest minimum of a plot and then kind of making it spooky and saying and it's then a brilliant they horror put it on face. a train and it's the train that runs on dead bodies <laughs> why didn't i call it the soul train it's so <laughs> obvious because uh, copyright infringement no we can totally make seven we call it the soul train it's different <laughs> okay if you say so oh yeah so it's like how proud mary didn't get the rights to the song i don't know anything about that movie the movie proud mary with oh, P. Right. they didn't get rights to the song it's just the name of the movie. That's kind of hilarious. Yeah, and they reference the lyrics in the branding. Yeah. <laughs> they say, like, working for the man every night and day, but they're not allowed to play the song because they didn't so get the rights. Weird. So the Soul Train, we won't play the song. It's just a train powered by souls, which are captured by the lightning glass. But yeah, so these two kids are on the beach. They're talking. Uh, they're, like, confessing their love to each other, but... The little girl's like, I'm 10 years old. I have so much to do. I well, can't yeah. marry you. The little boy is like saying he's going to marry her. And she says she's got too much to live for. And she goes, why would you want to marry me? Because their accents are insane. That's about as good as the accents of the movie. And he says, so I can kiss you anytime I want. And then they get struck by lightning. <laughs> yeah, then they kiss, but then they get <laughs> freaking struck by lightning. Oh, my God. And then she wakes up because it was a dream. Then she wakes up in 2002. It's Reese Witherspoon in New York City. She's a fashion designer. Yeah. End of movie. So now we're on point one. Point number one. The proposal. Right. Reese Witherspoon, she's a fashion designer, and she gets home from work. She's preparing her first show, and there are flowers everywhere. Right. There's a voicemail from her boyfriend, Patrick Dempsey, who is cuter and can't buy me love. Gotta say it. Yeah. Is this our second Dempsey It's our second Dempsey movie. Is this our first repeat main, like... Might be. Main cast? Yeah. Although Dempsey is like... High secondary cast. Oh, yeah. But so there's a voicemail from Patrick Dempsey wishing her luck on her show, saying how much he loves her. At the show, she sees him on the monitor like he came to see the show. And we find out that he asked her to come to Ireland with him for Christmas. Oh. It is not clear when this movie takes place in the year. No. I, no movies are usually very clear unless a specific holiday is mentioned. I've yeah. noticed that in every movie, it seems to be about 45 to 55 degrees no matter what time of year it's supposed to be because everyone is always wearing a light jacket. Yes. In every movie. The one timing that we get is we know that Dempsey wants to go to Ireland for Christmas and that when they do get engaged, spoiler, uh, as though we don't spoil the entire spoiler movie on this podcast. Spoiler for point one. Spoiler for point one. His mom, Candace Bergen, wants to have the wedding in June. Right. We don't know if June is before Christmas or after Christmas. <laughs> Who knows? But anyway, so he has asked her to go with him to Ireland for Christmas. She hasn't given him an answer. That night after the show, he takes her with him. And they're going somewhere, and they go through a back alley. He's like, it's cool. We're going to go through this back alley, and it won't be weird at all. And she's like, you seem like a normal person who won't murder me in this back alley. We've known each other for eight months. And so they go through the back alley, and they go in this room, and it's totally dark. And that's where he murders her. End of movie. That would be a better movie. That would not be a better movie than this. (laughs) That would be a terrible movie. It's totally dark. He claps his hands. Does he clap his hands or does someone else clap their hands? I think someone else. Someone does. else claps their hands. All the lights come up. They're in Tiffany's. But also, does Tiffany's really have a clapper? Because that seems like a terrible idea. I hope so. <laughs> Tiffany's should have a clapper. Um, actually, you know what? Someone claps their hands and then someone else hits the light switch. Oh, okay. Because they're in Tiffany's. Not only is he there to propose to her in Tiffany's and like, yeah. here, got a ring. But Tiffany's is fully staffed. Right. This is the thing that amazed me. It was like, if you're fabulously wealthy enough, like, sure. You get the thing set up in Tiffany's. You have one or two people there to help get it done. Every counter in Tiffany's has a person behind it. This is one of those movies in this scene that has something that really bothers me, where it makes it seem like the guy is supposed to propose without talking about it first. I feel like in real life, couples have a discussion and decide, yes, we want to marry each other, but it's like just a discussion and then a proposal comes later. But in movies, everyone's just like, we've never talked about it. It's just out of nowhere. So romantic. And she does raise the point that they've been dating for eight months. Yeah. And so it's like, why would you propose if you're not sure that they're going to say yes? Anyway, she does say yes. Right. So that works out great. Meanwhile, on the other side of town, Candace Bergen, who plays the mayor of New York City, who according to Wikipedia is named Kate Hennings. I think they say that. Her name definitely gets said. 
Yeah. She's in my notes as Candace Bergen. Oh, because in the, uh, we'll talk about it later, but the cut scene on the phones, someone refers to her as Kate and right. she goes, that's Mayor Hennings right. to you. So Candace Bergen on the other side of town is asked about rumors that her son got engaged. And she says, trust me, if my son were engaged, I'd have a comment. She's very no nonsense. Right. Meanwhile, um, Reese Witherspoon, Melanie refuses to call her parents. She says that she hasn't seen them in seven years and she wants to tell them in person without him. And he goes, is it because I'm a Yankee? And Reese Witherspoon says, and a Democrat. Ha 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 ha. That is the sense of humor in this movie. Yeah. This movie that, if you watch it with no brain on, is kind of charming. If you watch it with a little bit of brain on, you realize that it is totally bananas. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God, this movie. This is just the beginning. This that is the, beginning. the plot <laughs> set up. So this is the beginning. Patrick Dempsey in New York. He's the son of the mayor of New York. He is very supportive of her in her fashion design. Yeah. He went to the show. He sent her flowers. He left her a voicemail. He's super supportive. He's super into her. His goal, I believe, was to have the wedding in Ireland. Right. At Christmas time. He's setting all this stuff up. I think they go to Ireland every year for Christmas. Yes. And so he wants to bring her and marry her at a special small ceremony. Right. This is a dude who is super into her and super supportive of her, and they agree to get married. End of movie. (laughs) Now, that would be a happier movie. That would be a happy ending. Instead, well, ultimately, with the alternate ending that they cut, we get the medium happy ending, where there's the awful ending, the good ending that I just said, and then there's the ending we get in the middle. Right. Oh, my God. That alternate ending. Okay. So, point number two. Point Point number number two. two. She goes back to Alabama. At first stop in Alabama, she drives to a house. I assumed it was her parents' house the first time I saw it. It's not her parents' house. You too. It's the home of Jake. It's kind of run down. There's a seaplane out front. Yes. Which, fun fact, that lake, it is illegal to fly seaplanes on it, and the movie got fined. Really? Yes. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, they paid a $300 fine. Well, that's... That's fine for them. Yeah. It's nothing bad. Out of the... uh, $127 $127 million they made. Yeah, I think they can afford it. But she goes there and Jake, played by Josh Lucas, comes out and is like, what are you doing here? And she says, she's here for a divorce. What? No, she says, get your stubborn ass down here and get me a divorce. That's right. Yes. Which is a pretty fun line. Yes. And Josh Lucas is here. He's looking kind of ruffled. His shirt's untucked. Yeah. He's got approximately two swatches of grease on his face to look like he's been working. Yeah. It's the least quintessential movie makeup. Yeah. Uh, he refuses to sign. He's annoyed that she's been out of town, just disappeared. And they're fighting immediately. This is the theme of this movie is that the two of these people fight every time they are in the same place. Yeah. They're never not fighting. Yes. This movie has two leads who do not get along, but then decides at the end of the movie that they should get married. Yeah. Because essentially the point is, Whoever you fall in love with first is the only person you can ever be in love with the rest of your life, even if you hate each other. Well, because when you're struck by lightning, you know, your brain runs on electricity. And so when you're struck by lightning, a bolt of electricity connects your brains. And so a part of your brain emerges with the other person's brain. And so you can never quite get away from that. That's what it is. It is a literally electrical connection. They're a current together. Sure. You can't break the current or they won't function. I don't think they were actually struck by lightning, though. I think that was the dream. Really? Yes. I think they were struck by lightning. I, th- I think the movie believes they were struck by lightning. I don't think so. Because being struck by lightning is a pretty traumatic event to yes. put two 10-year-olds through. No, they're definitely struck by lightning. I don't know. I think that was just like the dramatic wake up. If you've, seen this, the... if you've seen this movie, send us an email. Yeah. Let us know what you think. I think the alternate ending is supposed to parallel them being struck by lightning at the beginning of the movie and then at the end of the movie. Yeah, but I guess... I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. Anyway, in 2002, Josh Lucas says that he'll think about signing the divorce papers. We find out that at one time they were married. She hasn't been home in seven years. So, like, they've been separated for yeah. seven years. Um, what I don't understand is if he hates her so much, why doesn't he want to divorce her? Well, I mean, what we find out across the movie is that he's in love with her. Right. Um, but, like, what are the reasons he's giving? Well, they haven't been in contact. Yeah. He hasn't signed them. He's just been returning them without signing them. So it's not like he's been saying, oh, I don't want to divorce you for X, Y, and Z. He just hasn't been responding. They it's haven't so been weird. in contact with each other. And one of the things he says is that he'll think about signing them if she visits her parents. So I think in a lot of ways he resents her for... Leaving. Just com- and not just leaving, but completely cutting off ties with everybody here. Yeah. Even in New York, she's made up this whole separate personal history for her. 
where instead of being from Pigeon Creek, she's from the nice town over. And she lives allegedly in like the big manor house and like right. has this great history. From the richest family around. When instead she's like lives in a trailer, basically. Right. So I think that's part of it too. And we like, it's pretty clear that the wedding was rushed too, because when they're talking about it, she says, I'm not your wife. I'm just the first girl to jump into the back of your truck. And later on in the movie, we find out that she was pregnant. Right. So I think it was a shotgun wedding too. Yeah. And they were probably like right out of high school. Right. So that's point number two. Yeah. Um, I just want to throw in some quick notes when we've been talking about the problematic elements of this movie that yes. I noticed along the way at the parents' house when we find out that Melanie's dad played by Fred Ward as Earl Smooter. Her mom's name is Pearl Smooter. It's Earl and Pearl. Yes. Earl tells us that when she talks about how he's a Confederate reenactor, Earl's response is, history's history, can't sweep it under the rug. Nobody's trying to sweep it under the rug, Earl. We're just trying to not glorify the Confederacy. Right, which they are clearly doing. This movie has a weird relationship with the music of the South, too. The score is pretty weird. It's this weird meld of, like, generic rom-com music, but also melded with Civil War music kind of at random. Yeah. Where in that scene... It transitions from Dixie to the Battle Hymn of the Republic at one point. I'm like, I don't think you get to play both of those songs. Yeah, it's so weird. Oh, boy. This movie. Speaking of music in this movie, this movie plays Sweet Home Alabama twice and never uses the Skinner version. Right. Which is odd to me. And maybe they only got the rights to covers. <laughs> that would be funny. It's also a missed opportunity that it ends with a female-led cover of Sweet Home Alabama. That is not sung by Reese Witherspoon, which is what it should be. I would have loved to watch that. The last credits should have been basically the ending of Shrek with Reese Witherspoon doing karaoke at her wedding singing Sweet Home Alabama. Sounds good to me. That's how it should have ended. Also, it should have ended with her married to Patrick Dempsey and nobody else in the movie should have been there. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so we've got a point number 2.5 in this one, which is Melanie has been back in town. She's reestablishing connections with different people around the town. Oh, another problematic element. Bobby Ray? When she meets the sheriff. Oh. Yeah. Uh, quote from the sheriff, the reason he likes his job is because I get to frisk pretty things like you all day and get paid to do it. Yeah. The sheriff, for what it's worth, is an old friend of theirs, a dude named Wade. Right. And so it could be that he's joking with an old friend from high school. Right. Still not a great joke. No. Bad joke. Yes. But like the actual him flirting with her reference is old friends from high school. Still right. not a good joke. Yeah. She meets up with Bobby Ray, another old friend. Um, in the midst of all this, she realizes that since they are still legally married, their joint checking account is still active. And so she withdraws a bunch of money from Jake's bake account and redecorates his apartment and basically starts playing a wife character, making him dinner and yeah. doing the whole thing. Getting him beers, stuff like that. But she replaces his beer with only light beer. Right, yes. Meanwhile, he gets pissed off at her and tells her he knows about Patrick Dempsey. He's like, I may talk slow, but I'm not stupid. Like, I can Google. Yeah. Which I appreciate. Well, in 2002, Googling is a pretty advanced well, skill. They don't say Google. Yeah. But it's clear that some people have followed her on the internet. Like, Bobby Ray knows all about her fashion life. Right. Then Jake leaves to go to a bar to meet his date, which I have labeled as 2.5. Right. Because it's not really its own point, but it's kind of moved on from point number two, which is Melanie's return to Alabama. I'm fine with that. Yeah, so we're at the bar. Boy, howdy. So at the bar, Jake is there with a date, somebody that he's probably been on a couple of dates with. Yeah, definitely not a first date. Yeah, and they're playing pool, a bunch of them. It's the bar that's owned by Jake's mom. And meanwhile, Melanie gets super drunk. Yes. As they are hanging out playing pool, she gets very uncomfortably drunk. Uh, it's really bad. One line that we get as she starts dancing around is, you can take the girl out of the honky-tonk, but you can't take the honky-tonk out of the girl. Ugh. Isn't a honky-tonk like an actual instrument? Yes, I think so. Interesting. I don't know what it is. Um, yeah, so while she's there and dancing around, she starts fighting with everyone. She gets annoyed with Jake. Yeah, she gets annoyed with Jake. Like, she is really rude to all of her friends, making fun of them for, like, staying behind, stuff like that. Right, her East Coast big city elitism really comes out. Right. Because if there's one thing this movie wants you to know, it's that cities are bad. Yeah. I will say, though, that a lot of people in New York do think that they're better than you because they live in New York specifically. Yes. But that's more of that town than big cities in general. Right. But the, the point of the movie is, if you live in a city, you are bad. As exemplified by Candace Bergen, the mayor of the city, who is super craven. Right. For example, when she tries to suggest that 
her son Patrick Dempsey marry somebody else because she's from a state with a lot of electoral college votes. Yeah, she is manipulative and political to a fault. Yes. Meanwhile, at the bar, things get real bad. She even outs Bobby Ray. She outs Bobby Ray, who has told her that he's gay. While this is all going on, also Jake is making sure that she doesn't hear anything about his current job. Yeah. He doesn't want her to know that he is now very successful because he's like, uh, she made up her mind about me a long time ago. I don't want her changing her mind because she knows I'm a success. Right. At the same time, she's making fun of him because she's like, what? You used to be a football star. Now you can't play football anymore. Why can't you go do something else with your life? Yeah. And of course he did, but he can't tell her because reasons. It doesn't make sense to me. She gets super drunk increasingly. So finally he takes her home. She throws up in his car. Gross. Ew. It is really gross. I don't know why people throw up in movies as much as they do. Or like why they show it. Yeah. He literally has to carry her into her parents' house. And the next morning, she wakes up with the signed papers on her pillow, which takes us to point number three. Yes. Boy, that bar scene is a doozy. Yeah. It's really uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. I will say this. They don't shy away from the uncomfortability, particularly of the outing. No, that is clearly the bad thing. Yeah. The worst thing that she does. Which I appreciate. Yeah. Like, because especially in a town like Pigeon Creek, Alabama, that is not a small thing. Yeah. And I think it's well executed. Yeah. And the follow-up from that, which isn't really part of our focus, but Bobby Ray does kind of get an arc over the course of the movie. Yeah. Where... There is a moment where the next time he shows up to hang out with his friends, there's kind of an awkward uncertainty about where he fits in with this now. And Jake actually immediately welcomes him in. Right. Which is probably the nicest thing we've seen from Jake. That's the only, like, thing about Jake that you could say is good. Yeah. Where he's very understanding and welcoming and brings Bobby Ray in again. Yeah. And really covers for him. And, of course, Bobby Ray, also, like, a good character... But, of course, he reads fashion magazines. It's just like, it's 2002. Right. You can get positive gay representation, but there's going to be stereotypes. Yeah. The only two gay men in the movie are both involved in fashion. Right. (laughs) But so, point number three, at this point, Jake and Melanie are on separate tracks. Right. Because he's signed the divorce papers. He says he's going off. He's literally going off on his seaplane that they'll be fined for when it takes off. And he invites her along and she refuses because she says she has a life. Yeah. So at this point, she's still hanging around town. She's talking to other people. She's talking to Melanie Linsky. Making amends with her friends. Right. Apologizing to Bobby Ray. Yeah. And Melanie Linsky, who plays Lurleen, tells us that Jake went to New York a year after Melanie left. And he saw the big city and he was overwhelmed by it. Weird. Yeah. He's overwhelmed by the size of New York and realized he'd have to conquer the world to get her back. We don't hear anything more about this for a while. no sense. The movie at this point starts telegraphing that Jake has something else going on and probably involves glass. Yeah. But. It's it's not subtle. No. But it's not telling us because Melanie's not being told because Jake has told everyone, don't tell her I have a job. Yeah. I don't understand this at all. Yeah. In the midst of this, I like her apology to Bobby Ray involves going to the manor house where he hangs out with the old man who owns it. Yeah. And they hook anvils to dynamite to launch them around the yard. It also involves an extended sequence of sneaking around the house pretending it's hers because someone she believes to be a reporter, but it later turns out actually works for Candace Bergen, comes to photograph the house and interview the family and stuff. And so she has to do a tour around the house showing it off. And it's very much like a very similar scene in The Great Muppet Caper. Yeah. And like the Great Muppet Caper, it ends with the two of them in a closet with her talking about what a great room it is. Yeah. So after that, that's when they go to the The Catfish Festival, Festival, right? Right. So they go to the Catfish Festival. By this point, that lady that Jake had been dating has disappeared without explanation. Yeah. We never see her again. Um, He's still hiding his success. Even when Melanie pointedly holds up one of the glasses at the event and says, where can I buy this? I want it. And somebody starts to say it. Jake's like, no, keep it cool. Yeah, it's so weird. I don't want anyone to it's know. so weird. That I don't have to live in a shack like I do. Yeah. That I have a beautiful glass factory slash restaurant slash glass store. Oh, my God. I don't understand it at all. It's weird that my place has a restaurant attached to it. Yeah. This is also the moment where we realized, just as in Hitch has a knockoff Cameron Diaz, this movie has a knockoff Ryan Gosling in the form of Jake. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, Josh Lucas is totally low-rent Ryan Gosling. Yeah. So Andy Tennant just not willing to shell out to Keeps get the real the thing. Although, I don't know how old Ryan Gosling is at this point. 2002? Yeah. I don't know. When did The Notebook come out? 05, 06, maybe. He'd be pretty young. Yeah, that's fair. At this point, though, after the Catfish Festival... She goes and cries at the grave of Jake's old dog. Yeah. 
the one he had when they were living when they were in married. the same city. Yeah. yeah. So the dog that he has now is a new dog. And he goes to cry at the old dog grave. And that's where Jake shows up. And she's telling him, like, I'm happy in New York, Jake. You can't knock me for not doing Reese Witherspoon's southern accent right. Because Reese Witherspoon doesn't do Reese Witherspoon's southern accent right. It also comes and goes. It comes and goes in strength. It varies widely in origin. It's really bad. The one part of it that kind of works is that it does seem to increase the longer she's there. Right. Which makes that's sense. That's like the one choice of the accent that was made and executed, I think. Right. But it's all over the place. So anyway, she's going, I'm happy in New York, Jake. But then I come down here and this fits too. They're talking about their whole backstory now. This is where we find out that she had been pregnant when they got married. Right. And that she miscarried. Yeah. And she says that it was this really awkward situation. She felt like she had to get out of there because she felt ashamed because she had felt relieved at the miscarriage. Which actually is like a reasonable explanation for why this character... Would feel like she had to leave. Left and like redid her life. It's a really interesting detail to add. Yeah. I think it's one of the only well-executed plot points. It's one of the most interesting ideas the movie has. Yeah. Which is the way that that would affect a relationship. Yeah, for sure. Unfortunately, by now, the movie is too committed to them getting together for us to really take the time to explore it. Oh, yeah. All right, this now is a runaway train powered by the electricity of the lightning bolt that definitely struck them as children and consumed their souls. It's the soul train. (laughs) God. Boo. If anyone wants to help me write the soul train movie, hit me up on Twitter at WRED42. Oh, my God. This has been a high eye roll per minute episode, guys. I'm going to play more of the Howard the Duck episode. No! I'm going to shut your computer. A Mr. Allen Auto calling collect for a Mr. Howard Suck? Duck. Why? Why what? Duck. That's right. What's right? Duck, duck. I am, I am. Listen, cheese brain. Just put through the call. And you wonder why the phone company has such a hard time? Go ahead, Mr. Auto. Howie, Howie. Is that his name? Beverly? What are you doing? Making a sandwich. I'm on the phone here. Well, I can't help it if you're sitting in the refrigerator. Howard the Duck! Oh my god. Was that necessary? That was pretty funny. It's better than the movie. It is better than the movie. That I like that true. they commit to the bit of the phone being in the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the next day. Oh, you know what? No, they're standing there. They're talking about how she felt like she had to leave. And then they make out in the rain right. at the graveyard. Yeah. And it's he's very romantic. There's the obligatory, Jake, I can't do this right before they make out. Yeah. Ugh. The next day she's leaving again. Yeah. Then we get to point number four. Yay. Which is when Patrick Dempsey comes to town. The arrival of Andrew. Ba-da-bum. Boo. Um, so he shows up to meet her parents. And he goes to the manor house where she is allegedly from. Right. So he goes to the manor house. Well, no, no. He arrives. He meets Jake somewhere. And Jake offers to give him a ride. Oh, right. And Jake, who doesn't realize who Patrick Dempsey is, gives him a ride to the manor house. Yeah. And it's there. They run into Bobby Ray, who hangs out there flinging anvils with dynamite. And he asks, Dempsey asks Bobby Ray about Melanie. Yeah. And that's where Jake figures out what's going on. And then somehow Jake, I think Jake gives his last name as Smooter. So it somehow seems like he and Melanie are cousins or something. Well, no, because Melanie has a fake last name. Yeah. Melanie is Melanie Carmichael. Oh, right. In New York. She has a fake last name. She's not Smooter. Good choice. It's a great choice. <laughs> it's a good reason to change your name. Yeah. Smooter. I was talking about the Holly Smoot tariff in class the other day. Cool. Yeah. Nice story. One of the things that I do is I try to get my kids to name children of theirs after things in history. And I've been trying to get a kid to commit to naming either a dog or a child Holly Smoot. <laughs> the highest tariff in U.S. history. I don't think anyone will name their child that. Ba-da-ba-da-ba. <laughs> God. So I will say that when Andrew shows up, he commits, which is like, he's portrayed to be... Andrew is Patrick Dempsey. This is the first time we're saying his name. <laughs> oh, yeah. Patrick Dempsey shows up and he's, you know depicted as this great guy nothing is ever shown to be wrong with him but i will say his worst crime who wears a turtleneck to alabama who's like you know what i should wear to go to alabama i mean it can get cold in alabama is a black turtleneck but the thing is it's not like anyone else is dressed like it's cold though no one's wearing jackets no he's just made a fashion choice to wear a black turtleneck it's so bad if they revealed any more of dempsey's body to us we would lose control and it wouldn't be believable that Reese Witherspoon would choose anyone else if we saw any more of his body. Yeah, his sexy neck. Right. 
So Bobby Ray tells Jake and Andrew that Melanie's at the battleground because she's trying to talk to her dad who's in the middle of battle. Right. So Jake delivers Patrick Dempsey and the three of them are standing there and Jake is saying bye to them. And he looks at Dempsey and he goes, you and I are in love with two different people. Whoa. Wow. So deep. Because Melanie's different. Oh my gosh. And implied worse in New York. And by worse, we mean successful and happy and engaged. Yeah. We should keep in mind, though, that they end up in New York. They do. It's established by the credits. Right. We're going to talk about the credits. Yeah. Because the credits are going to lead us to, to our bonus point on this episode. Guys, there's a secret bonus point. Get Whoa! excited. Um, so at this point, Dempsey goes to the parents' house, goes to visit Earl and Pearl. And he doubles down on the proposal at this point, yeah. which is a big deal for us because she's been drifting towards Jake. Right. But Andrew comes and he doubles down on the proposal. And he's like, he's, even seeing the real you. And he again puts her career and her life at the center of it. Right. Where he, his line is, what I need to know is if there is a place for me in your future. Oh, Because he's super supportive. He's so supportive of a successful woman. He's great. He's so good. Ugh, this movie. <laughs> yeah. So she says yes. And they decide that they're going to have a wedding in Alabama with all of her people around. Aww. Instead of, well, no, because they bring in the people from New York. Yeah, see, the thing is, it kind of makes sense because the people in Alabama can't afford to go to New York, but, but the all New York of the people, people they can. know there can. Yeah. Including Aaron. We're going to talk about Aaron. Oh, bit. yeah. Aaron uh, is cut from this movie. So they start planning it. Her two friends from New York come to help her plan it. And the thing is, why in movies like this, why does the main character always have either a friend or rival that's British? Are there really that many British people in New York? I have no idea. Have you noticed that though? Yes, it's a thing. I mean, particularly in this period. Yeah, Devil Wears Prada. That's is the, the other primary big one. example. Yeah, but I feel like it shows up in other movies too. No, it definitely does. Um, I want to say it's because British actors are good. That's fair. Emily Blunt is good. Emily Blunt, good actress. Yeah. Hot take. I know. But. <laughs> Yeah, so they come and they're shopping around. The actress's name is Rona Mitra and her character's name, holy cow, the character's name is Tabitha Wadmore Smith. <laughs> Amazing! <laughs> Speaking of names that everyone should adopt. Why didn't they use that more? All the time. That should have been Melody's name. Yeah. Oh my God, that's a great uh, name. Tabitha Wadmore Smith. That would also Very be the great name. name. They should spin her off into like a detective show. But like a high class detective. Like a, like Dragnet. Yeah. She runs in fancy circles, but she solves murders through fashion. Yeah, like Angela Lansbury, but classy. Yeah. And well, solves it. Angela Lansbury is classy. I mean, like, high class classy. Like, elite. Social elite. Right. Exactly. Great idea. Done. Sold. We're crushing it with the spinoffs. Yeah, lots of spinoffs today. All right. So, they come into town, Tabitha and the others, and they see an ad at the airport for this glass company. And Melanie's like, that's Deep the glass South company. Glass. Yeah. She's like, that's the glass company that I've been trying to find. Let's go to their place and visit. And what it is is this gorgeous big wood building on the right. edge of a lake. There's a wraparound deck with people eating meals. And they go inside and it's this showroom with all this beautiful glass. Some of it is lightning glass, which Ooh. Melanie identifies. Yeah. Because Tabitha's like, what is this? And Melanie identifies it. And that's when we see coming down the stairs... To the surprise of everyone. No, because they saw the plane out front. Oh, right. The plane's out front. Which also, there's no way flying a plane to work every day is cost effective. No, it's not. Like, he should just drive because I feel like fueling up your car probably saves a lot on gas. Definitely. So the plane is out front on the lake. And then, of course, we have coming down the stairs, Howard the Duck. No, it's Jake. It's Jake. It's Jake. <laughs> Because of course it is, because there's nothing in this movie that isn't predictable. Right. And so she's surprised. She's like, what the heck? You didn't tell me about any of this. She's like, oh, whatever. And she's like, when I was planning the wedding in New York and putting everything together, I kept trying to call you, which we had seen in montage form. Right. We had seen her calling and him not picking up the phone. And he doesn't even acknowledge, not answering calls. He's like, oh, whatever. Yeah. He's really weird. He's yes. Gruff. He's in kind of a funk. Yeah. She chose Andrew. But did she? Did she? Which we'll brings find us out. to point number five, the wedding day. <gasps> it's the wedding day. She's getting married to Andrew. It's very exciting. Yeah. Her daddy's there. Earl. Also Pearl. Also Candace Bergen, who is being greeted by everybody. Yeah. She's the most famous person they've ever seen. I mean, probably. Probably. She's the mayor of New York City. That's a big yeah. job. That's a national figure. Yeah. 
And the wedding is getting going when this dude who had kept being around town and trying to find Melanie, but yeah. everyone was turning him away because they were trying to keep the tabloids out of the wedding. Right. They're they assumed like, he was a we're going to protect journalist. Melanie's wedding. And so this dude, this little old guy who's running around in a suit, he's always running. Yeah. He's got to get there fast. He's got to get him to the church on time. I mean, fair. No, totally. So he's running and he finally gets there and he comes like careening into the wedding, which is outside. So he comes careening to the wedding. Right. And he's shouting for Melanie. And Does he's he get about punched? to get like tackled by he security. Get, he winds up on the ground. Right. He, so he gets tackled by some security people. And Melanie is just like, Mr. Buford? She knows him. She knows him. And what it is is... She's still married to Jake. Yeah, so he's her lawyer. Right. Mentioned earlier. Right. And so he's like, look, you you still married. You didn't sign the divorce forms. Yeah, she's like, what do you mean I'm not divorced? Jake signed the papers. And he's like, but you didn't. Oh, no. And then Jake's mom, the bartender, is like, these things don't just happen, even though they definitely do. Yeah, so obviously because she didn't, it means she's still in love with Jake. And, and that's, that's where Earl, who is, she Earl decides. is walking her, who had been walking her down the aisle, is like, yeah. can't ride two horses with one ass, sugar bee. Ew. Well, also, it's good that the lawyer showed up, because otherwise they would have been committing bigamy. bigamy. Like Andrew Jackson. Oh, boy. And so then Melanie oh. tells Andrew that he doesn't want to marry her. Which it's nice of her to illuminate him. Right. He says she doesn't want to marry her because she gave her whole heart away a long time ago and can't get it back. Yeah. Again, making him out to be the better person. It's because she should have ended up with. They got struck by lightning. A bolt of lightning. Yeah. 1.21 gigawatts. (laughs) All right. Shut up. So at that point, after he does that, Candace Berg... Min starts yelling at her. She's like, what are you doing? This is crazy. This is an awful idea. Objectively true. Yeah. Candace Bergen is the voice of reason in this wedding because remember, every time Jake and Melanie get together, they fight viciously. Deep personal attacks. Yeah. <laughs> Cutting remarks. Yes. There is nothing in this movie to suggest that they belong together except for inertia, which was broken seven years ago. Yeah. It, so uh-huh. Candace Bergen is trying to raise these valid points and then but is mean. She's very mean. She says really hurtful things. She's really rude. And then, and then Melanie, Pearl. Is it Pearl? I think it's Pearl. Wikipedia summary. Yep, Pearl. Yeah, Pearl punches the mayor of New York in the face. Knocks her clean off her feet. Yeah. And that's when Earl turns to the camera yeah. and goes, The South will rise again! And everyone cheers. Yeah. Because racism yeah. is still alive. New York City was also pretty pro-Confederate, so. Yeah. Fair. Uh, boy. Anyway, so, that's that. Then, after the wedding, Melanie goes to the beach. There's another thunderstorm. Just like the beginning of the movie. Yeah. She finds Jake, and it's a mirror of the first scene, where he says, what you want to be married to me for? And she says, so I can kiss you anytime I like. And then they kiss. Yay. Is that the end? I think it's the end of the movie. Uh, then, oh, no, no, then the sheriff comes back and arrests oh, them. right. And he takes them to the bar. Oh, yeah. The bar, Jake's mom's bar, and their family's hanging out, and then they have a dance right. together. they set up the reception. Right. They took all the stuff from that was supposed to be for the wedding reception. Yeah. Like, hey, let's just take it to the bar. It's already right. paid for. Valid move. Valid. And so they're dancing, and then earlier they talk about how Jake got so drunk the night before their first wedding. That they weren't able to have a dance. That they weren't able to have a dance. So they have their they actual have their dance. first dance. Uh, As a cover of Sweet Home Alabama plays. Yeah. Oh, this movie. Uh. And then over the credits, we get a montage of their future where right. we find out that they go back to New York City. Melanie keeps doing her design work. Jake keeps opens doing his blasting. He opens a branch in New York. Yeah. They... Are like having a good time. Meanwhile, another news clipping tells us that Andrew married a girl named Erin Vanderbilt, which takes us to point number six, the bonus point, the deleted scenes of Sweet Home Alabama. These are insane. So the first time I watched this, I've only ever seen this movie on DVD. I believe it's on Hulu. Yeah. So you can watch it. Eh, check it out, I guess. Um, You've probably seen it. Yeah. If you haven't, eh, check it out. But it's worth watching on DVD if you can. Because the first time I watched it, we finished and we were like, well, that's a weird movie. Yeah. What's on the special features? And that's where we found the deleted scenes, which is that an entire storyline about an entire character was cut from this movie. And it's the story of Melanie's assistant, Aaron. Last name, not given until the end of the movie. So Aaron is Melanie's assistant. She wants to live a glamorous, fancy lifestyle. 
She wants to learn a lot from Melanie. Melanie's given her some mentorship. It's basically an all about Eve plotline. Yes. That they just cut. Right. Because then when Melanie and Andrew get engaged, it's the talk of the town. As, you know, makes sense. It's the talk of the town. It's on the tabloids. Melanie's yeah. trying to hide. She's like wearing coats when she goes outside. A decently well-known designer is engaged to the mayor of New York's son. Yeah, it's totally plausible yeah. as tabloid fare. And so she's been trying to hide. And eventually, when she wants to leave town to go back to Alabama to get her divorce, she doesn't want people to know that because she doesn't want people to follow her to Alabama. One, because it'll be annoying. Two, because they could uncover her fake backstory. Right. So Aaron, for a while, impersonates her wearing the coat and getting around in cabs that she can't be seen. And that's where Aaron also begins to aggressively try to seduce Andrew. Right, because she basically moves in to... Reese Witherspoon's apartment. And now, when you watch these deleted scenes on the DVD, each scene is introduced by Andy Tennant, the director, who looks rather bored to be there. Yeah, he's not excited about this. He was contractually required to do stuff for the DVD. Yeah, at one point, I think it was introducing the alternate ending. He was just like, yeah, we did this. It was bad, so we did a different one. Right. (laughs) Enjoy. So he's telling about, like, basically, we had this thing, and the point of it was that we would see that Andrew only cares about Aaron. But instead, people thought that he wanted to sleep with Aaron, so we had to cut it. Yeah. (laughs) Because she's, like, trying on outfits at Melanie's apartment and, like, trying to get Andrew to pick them. And at one point, she's, like, just walking around in her underwear to try to seduce him. And this is an ongoing story. And ultimately, where it comes to a climax is when they're at the day of the wedding. And Aaron has come to the wedding because she's Melanie's assistant, so they're friends. Yeah. Such close friends that she's able to be completely cut from the movie. (laughs) Yep. And they're being introduced. Andrew and Candace Bergen are there, and Melanie and her date, excuse me, Aaron and her date are there. And Andrew tries to do an introduction. He's like, oh, yeah, my mom, Mayor Hennings, this is Aaron. And he's like, you know, I don't think I know your last name, which Aaron has cut off a couple of times before in the other the other deleted scenes. Yeah. She's cut it off from coming up. At one point when Andrew asked about her backstory, she's like, oh, you know, family, whatever. And Aaron's introducing herself to Candace Bergen now, and she's like, oh, Vanderbilt. And Candace Bergen's like, oh, really? Like, call me Kate. Yeah. Immediately cozying up to her. And then in the credits, even though this entire storyline was cut up, we still see a newspaper clipping that Andrew marries Aaron Vanderbilt. Actually, Aaron's not completely cut because she is the assistant Reese Witherspoon yells at in the beginning of the movie. Oh, that's true. Yeah. The storyline is pretty funny. It's better still with Andy Tennant's introduction. Yeah. There's also an alternate ending. Uh, The alternate ending is bananas. So... We get to the point where they kiss on the beach. And then they get struck by they lightning. They get struck by lightning. Blinded by the light. And then Jake carries Reese Witherspoon. They decide to pull a prank. They decide to pull a prank. But he, you don't know this. You don't see right. this. It's, they get struck by lightning. Cut to Jake carrying her. He carries her into the wedding. It just goes. In this one, they've got the reception like set up in a big tent nearby. Right. Big fancy tent. And he just goes, Melody's dead. Ma- Mel- specifically, Melody Carmichael is dead. Yeah. Melody Carmichael is dead, and then her mom gives this pained, horrified look. The whole party, like, comes to a halt. I say, like, oh, my God, what is happening? Yeah. And then she just, like, gets up. And And he goes, long live Melanie Smooter. Yeah. Because he's like, the fake Melanie is dead, but the real one's back. And then they, like, dip, and, like, she's back in. And it's like, yay, you tricked us into thinking you were dead. Yeah. And then I think in the... Nothing more charming. In the alternate ending introduction, the director also says, like, the mom gave such a pained look that that's we one could of never the come back they from it. cut it. Yeah. They could never make it fun. He was like, yeah, this was going to be fun and then not, but you see that and you can never recover. Yeah. Sweet home Alabama. Okay. Oh, boy. Um, I think that's about it. That's the movie. So what, what do you think? Is it believable? No. 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 I was almost going to be like, yeah, you can see people getting trapped in a relationship from early in their life. They don't really know how to escape it. But they did. It ended. This would not happen. They continuously fight. Yeah. They never have a really sweet moment. She's engaged to Patrick Dempsey, who treats her very well and very respectfully. She has a great... Like, it's never like she's questioning their relationship at all. There's never anything wrong with the Patrick Dempsey relationship. Yeah. Which would make it much easier to swallow. Yeah. it Like, if she was a little uncertain at all about him, maybe, but she's never wavered on him until she meets Jake. Right. And it's just like... He's the worst. Who she's had many reasons over decades to waver on. Yeah. Oh, boy. Okay. okay. Where are you going to rank it? Um, Maybe a five. That seems high. I mean, the thing is, it's still an old relationship. 
and those could rekindle conceivably. I just think it's better than the Bond movie. Oh, I don't think it's better than the Bond movie. Really? I think it's a four. I think it's equivalent to the Bond movie. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. The relationships are equally toxic. <laughs> that that mm, Jake never hits her. That's true. They. Uh, it seems like there's been some really destructive stuff involved in their past. Though. Oh yeah, it's a really unhealthy relationship. Yeah. Do you think they're dateable? No. Yeah. Not Mel- at all. Actually, New York Melanie, yes. New York Melanie, Melanie Carmichael, yes. Yes. Melanie Smooter, no. Jake, whatever his name is, no. No, he's terrible. I would have to date him for years before he told me what his job is. Yeah, he's so rude. Um, who would you date though? Uh, Bobby Ray is great. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean that's probably the answer, right? Um, I was gonna say Nathan Lee Graham, her like fashion design mentor. Oh, okay. Who only has like ten lines, but all of them are well delivered. All of them are fabulous. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, I think it's Bobby Ray. He's a nice guy. So basically, the only good people in this movie are, are the gay, gay ones. men. <laughs> yeah. Maybe Tabitha, just for her last just name. Just for her name. Yeah. Uh, Tabitha Wadmore Smith. Great. All right. So we know they broke up once. Do you think Melanie and Jake stay together this time? No, they're no. gonna have a massive argument. Every day. Every day. And then eventually she'll be like, why did we get back together and try and divorce him? Maybe he won't sign the papers again. And we have to do this all over again. Yeah. <laughs> this movie is just an endless cycle. <laughs> and then they fall back It's an love. endless cycle of Sweet Home Alabama. Oh, God. It's like our Shrek theory about how the fairy tale creatures live the same life over and over again. Oh, yeah. But for Reese Witherspoon and Josh Lucas. Sounds good. Yeah. Okay, I think that does it. Next week, we're going to be back doing another Mark pick, and it's going to be the oldest movie we've covered so far. Yeah, so uh, I realized that we've done, you know, a lot of well-known movies, but we haven't done anything really in, like, the canon. Like, I'm sorry. We've done one movie in the canon for our second episode. <laughs> I knew it. Um, but I decided to pick something like a really, you know, classic Hollywood. Mm-hmm. So we're going to do Vertigo, Ooh. which has a very weird... I've never seen it. It has a very weird story like can't wait it'll be an interesting episode yeah you can of course see our whole schedule for the rest of april on facebook and twitter you can find us there and everywhere at heart of podness by the way we're going to be putting together our plans for may and june pretty soon so now is the time to send us movie suggestions love to get those in and of course you can do that on facebook and twitter or via email at heartofpodness at gmail.com and make sure to rate review and subscribe to our show if you write us a review tell us what famously wealthy family you would lie that you're related to yeah aaron vanderbilt all right uh last question what's the best piece of dating advice you got from this movie no oh, that's a tough you one. can't say none again um i'm trying to think of something specific andrew does that was good um accept your partner for who they are and try and promote their interests and support them in their endeavors that's a good one yeah I was going to say, hang out by the gravestone of somebody's dead pet until they come up and make out with you. That that works just as well. Yeah. All right. uh, There you go. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. Bye.